Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. some uh, other voices besides mine uh, as uh, this Wednesday night uh, our brother Cole Byers will be teaching Wednesday night uh, Sunday school a week from today um, uh, Mr. Jeff Collins will be uh, teaching Pastor Ben will be preaching next weekend bringing the word are you still in Ephesians there working through that looking forward there this is uh, uh, one week out of the year I spend with my mentor and uh, go uh, get discipled by him so I'll be doing that this week. Um, so please come out to some of the others who are going to be teaching. One other thing to just kind of mention, if you haven't seen it or know about it yet, if you drive out past the land there, you'll see stuff uh, that is happening out there, which is uh, good news, some progress being made. Uh, so exciting things there. Uh, let me just remind you and ask you to very intentionally, please pray um, for some of these requests we've, we've passed on. If you'll make that a part of some of your regular prayers, praying that God would bless the process. Uh, praying that he would provide abundantly, stir hearts to give, praying uh, that the Lord would bless us as a church in, in unity and in right attitudes and perspectives and work that we do as we're leading uh, to this there. Romans 12, let's read the first two verses. Last time here, we're going to look at these last two phrases of verse two. Let's start in verse one to get the context. The scripture reads, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's go to our Father and ask for help. Our gracious God, we, a bunch of weak, frail sinners who break your law, are gathering here to draw near to you. We are amazed that you ever looked on us with mercy. We who deserve to be in hell right now deserve to be burning. You sent your Son. You sought us. When we were uninterested in you, you drew us to yourself. You worked the new birth. You've applied the blood of your son to us. Oh God, we're grateful. We, we, it is our intention that this morning and tomorrow and every day from now through eternity, we want to worship you. We want to express our gratitude for the mercies that you have given and, and glorify you for who you are. So God, we pray, help us to do that. We want to obey you. We want to please you. We, we want to do what Romans 12 is preaching to us here to offer up our lives as sacrifice and, and specifically with what we're going to talk about this morning, learning what it means to approve of your will, to regard what is excellent as excellent. God, we pray, give us help. 
please send your spirit so that the truths that are here in your word, we will rightly understand them, that we will come to learn and know your will. But beyond that, that our hearts will rejoice in your will. We, we will hold your will as worthy and God that will order our lives around it to obey. So please apply these things, we pray. Everything that needs to happen for those things to take place, please bless. From us being able to pay attention for a, a duration of time to me being able to preach in a way that's helpful and useful to all of us worship by receiving. Uh, we pray that you do that. Please bless our sweet little ones in, in the next room as they recite your word. Bless, bless this, oh God, please work for good, we pray. and We ask all of it in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Years back, there was a, a study done where a large group of people were, were brought together and they were presented with a, a new concept. They were given information that, and they made sure that it was a concept that they had never encountered before. And then immediately after hearing the, the spiel, the pitch given by the speaker there, they were, uh, they were called upon, they were asked to believe what they had been told. But this new information challenged some old beliefs, and so it would be difficult. And the point of the study, unbeknownst to the people who were there, the point of the study was gauging, uh, it was evaluating, how do people think? How do they determine beliefs? How do people make decisions uh, in their life? Roughly 50% of the people immediately without any further consideration, without asking any follow-up questions, just merely based on their gut reaction, responded immediately by saying, yes, they believe this and intend to make decisions in the future based on this information. Roughly another 30-ish percent immediately responded without asking any further questions, without any time to consider, just immediately responded in the negative. No, they did not believe this. Another 15% asked for some more time to consider it, but didn't actually ask any follow-up questions, didn't do any more research, just wanted more time. And only about 5% analyze the details, ask questions, did research, took time to, to try to weigh through what they, what they had um, been presented with and, and then came to a careful kind of conclusion. Now, John MacArthur is the one who quoted the study there and he says the conclusion of the study is that only about 5% of the population thinks analyzes when it comes to determining what will I believe. Another 15% of the population thinks that they think, but doesn't actually think. And roughly 80% of the population just gut reaction. Just how does the information make me feel? determines beliefs based on emotion and, and even moods and such. It's also probably the case that most everybody thinks that we're in that 5%. But the normal way of life for us fallen sinners 
is that this is how we roll. This is how we determine beliefs. This is how we make decisions. It is based on gut reactions. And and really, a, a lot of study has been done into this. How the information makes me feel. Does it feel good? It's, it's no wonder that we hear so often uh, the mindless mantra that the world is always preaching. And we, we bring it up quite a bit to warn about, but it's because we hear it everywhere that we go. The follow your heart mantra. But scripture tells us that our hearts are deceitful. Our gut, our emotions they're controlled by the flesh. But even for us who are in Christ and have the spirit and then there's been a change, we're still influenced by the flesh that remains. And what scripture calls us to do, scripture calls us not to trust our heart, but it calls us to think, analyze, determine, evaluate, discern, to carefully come to conclusions about what is true, what is excellent, what is valuable, and then to order our lives accordingly. The the Christian is called, listen, the point of my illustration is not just to be like the 5% that was very careful. The Christian is called to live a life of reflection on the word of God, a life of regular and continuous reflection on the one book given from heaven. The one book where God reveals what is true, what is essential, what is excellent, what is glorious, what is trivial, what is worthless, and to order our lives Accordingly, to come into line with what is actually true, what is actually essential, what is actually excellent, to bring our lives into conformity. We are to learn the will of God, discern the will of God, approve the will of God, and do the will of God. Well, this is the final truth that we are going to consider from this very pregnant passage that is Romans 12, 1 through 2. Um, We have been considering this this first point. There's a a series of points in how we, the Christian, relates to. First, it is how we relate to God. Next, it'll be how do we relate to our fellow believers. Then it will be how do we relate to those outside of Christ. Chapter 13, how do we relate to governing authorities? You see kind of the theme of what's happening here. But verses 1 and 2 has been how do we live unto God? How do we relate? How are we to relate to God? We've seen five major truths so far. We're ready for this final one, the sixth one that is presented. And it is letter F in your outline. It is prove the will of God. So in order to study that, we've got some work that we need to do in understanding what does that mean? Okay, I don't know about you, but that is not immediately clear to me what that means. That, so we got some work to do to study. What, what does it mean to prove the will of God? And then we're going to talk through examples and, and do work of applying it to ourselves. So here we go. Letter F, prove the will of God. As you look at verse two again, I think the NASB has some difficult language. Now, I, this is good translation, okay? And it has a point, but I, I, this is one of those passages that was not immediately clear to me reading it for the first time. It takes some effort to try to come to understand what does it mean. 
Um, some other versions, let me throw them out there and then we're gonna talk about what, what the variation is. The ESV, if you have that on your lap, it's very popular here, says that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is. That's easier to understand, but why the difference? Before I answer that, here's the NIV. Um, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So that's a lot of variation in the language. So, so why the big difference? Well, the root of that lies in, in just the reality of translating from one language into another means that there are a lot of times that there's a word in another language that English doesn't have a perfect word that rightly translates this, this other word in another language. So we're doing this all the time as we, as we read the Bible. Greek will have a, a word that there is no perfect English word that describes this. And a lot of times, not even a sentence will do it. Like it, it's a paragraph, okay, that it takes to rightly define a word. Well, we have one of those here. This is a word, you know, it's not one of those um, you just have to remember, but it is doxamatso. And it's a word that is used repeatedly, commonly uh, throughout the New Testament. And, and I think that by exploring ways that this word is used in other places in the New Testament will help us to know what is meant here. And I do want to tell you, there is rich truth here, Christian. There is rich, rich truth here. Um, and, and so if you'll, if you'll stay with me for a bit of abstract technical stuff, okay, then we'll, we'll bring it to some application in the end. But, but, but let's think through some of the ways this word is used in other places in the New Testament. Um, let, me, let me just rattle some off to you and then we'll look at some. First, Ephesians 5. By the way, um, in Ephesians 5, and I'm, I'm going to reference verse 21 here, in the section of like Ephesians 5, 16 to 21, it is a passage where a lot of the same truth that is in here, Romans 12, 1 through 2, is also taught there in that passage. Okay? But in Rome, excuse me, Ephesians 5, 21, it says this, but examine, and that's our word, doxamatso, examine everything carefully hold fast to that which is good so there the obvious uh, meaning of the word is examine test analyze discern um assay okay this is this is language that is referring to examine and, and then i want you to pay attention to this as well because this will apply for the rest of the sermon what it calls us to is examine everything that doesn't just mean everything in the Bible. Examine everything. Evaluate everything to come to conclusions about what is good and evil. But far beyond that, evaluate everything to come to conclusions about the value, the excellence what is good, better, best, bad, worse, worst. What is trivial, what is meaningful. Examine everything, hold fast to that which is good. In Luke 14, 19, that's in the midst of Jesus telling the parable uh, of the, the, the great man who held the great banquets, okay? And he invited all of these people, but you remember that one? All of the guests were giving excuses about why they would not come. One of the men replied and gave the excuse, I cannot come to the banquet because I purchased some oxen and I need to go 
examine them. So it's the idea, examine them to see if they are um, approved. Similar usage in Luke 12, when Jesus talked about, you know how to discern the, the weather by looking at the sky. Okay, so you, you wake up in the morning and there's, there's red uh, in the sky. You know what that means. You discern the sky, you discern the weather. So it's analyzing, it's testing that is there. In classical Greek, this word was used in referring to the assaying of metal. Okay, I had to look that up. To assay metal means to test metal to determine its properties. Okay, so what, what kind of metal is this? Is this high carbon steel? Is this cheap stuff? Would this make a good skinning knife? Okay, what, what is the value? It is determining it, approving it in that kind of sense. So there we have a whole collection of ways that the word is used for examine, discern, test, study, analyze. But there's another way that the word is used in the New Testament, and it's related, but it does have a distinction. Places like, okay, you're in Romans, flip over to chapter 14 for a second. Romans 14, 22, what's happening in the context there is there's a whole chapter here on uh, the use of Christian liberty and what are godly motives that direct us in our Christian liberty. And one of the big ones there is love for our brother. We need to be careful not to create stumbling blocks for our brothers and sisters. And in the midst of that discussion, look at verse 22. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. That's our word, approves there. So the way that it is used is, we, we know what it means to approve. In one sense, it's to give a, you know, I hate to use like a social media reference. It's to put a like on the article. It's to give a thumbs up. Okay, if, if my daughters bring home an unbeliever, a weak, effeminate boy that they are interested in, I will not approve of this young man, okay? Um, and and when, it, when it comes to this, we know what it means to approve. It, to approve means to prove something to be true by agreeing with it and giving acknowledgement to it. So in a sense, it's giving a, a thumbs up. Now, a similar usage there, you're still in Romans. Paul uses this numerous times. Jump back to Romans 2. Romans 2, and I want you to notice that there's a similar, there's a similarity between this passage, uh, the way that he says it, and, and Romans 12. So this is a really helpful one here. Romans 2 in verses 17 and 18, this is in the context that Paul is preaching that all mankind is under sin. We have all broken the law of God. We have all broken the will of God, and we are under condemnation. He starts by the Gentiles, the nations of the earth, but then he goes to the Jews, okay? R religious folks and those a part of this community, you have also broken the will of God, but notice how he says it and how he introduces it. Verse 17, but if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast his will, excuse me, and boast in God and know his will and approve, there's our word, approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law. Now pause there and think about how the word is used. He's talking about two different things. To know the will, but then something separate to approve of the will of God, to approve the things that are essential. So really he brings up three categories. Know the will of God, 
approving of the will of God and then doing of the will of God. These are three separate things. They are related, but there are three separate things. This is helpful because what he is getting at there is something beyond just knowing what God's will is. He is getting at something that happens in the heart that helps us when it comes to understanding what is meant in Romans 12. Now, let me take you to another place. Philippians chapter one, and, and while you're turning, I'll give a little introduction. Philippians one, and this is another place that Paul is preaching the same truths that are in um, Romans 12, but he's using different language to do it. That's one of the ways that the Bible helps us interpret the Bible, okay? So when the same truth is taught, but different language is used to explain it, that's very helpful to us. So Philippians 1, find verses 9 and 10. You know, I'll just, the first phrase of chapter 10, that's verse 10 is the one we're looking at, approve the things that are excellent, but start back in verse 9, Philippians 1, 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Approve what is excellent. That is our same word here. What he is saying is that I pray that you will have the ability to test and discern, to learn what the will of God is, to discern what is excellent, but even that is not where he stops. He brings us one more step, not only to know the will of God, which there's a lot of work involved there, we'll spend some time talking about that, to know with the brain the will of God, but he's bringing us to the next step, for something to happen in the heart to approve what is excellent, for our hearts to embrace what is excellent. It carries the idea, and this is a really important point, it carries the idea to set a proper value of things. Which really, Christian, this is a major part of life. It is a major part of life. What is excellent? What is most excellent? What is okay, but it's trivial in the grand scheme of things? What is bad? What is worse? What is worst? What are the thousand degrees in each one of these kinds of categories? What matters versus what doesn't matter versus what matters the most? What's a good thing? versus the one thing, the one thing that we live for and that summarizes everything else. We're talking about degrees here. We're talking about the varying worth of all things. This is a major part of life. We often don't realize it, but we have a value that we have set to things in our life. We, we've made a judgment call along the way. We're often unaware of the value we put to it. We are often deceived about the value we put to things. But we've made a judgment call about how important, what weight of essentialness or glory or excellence we have put to various things in our life. 
One man says that he loves the Lord and he confesses Christ unto the degree of being eaten by lions. Another man says that he loves the Lord, but he stayed up too late Saturday night. He's tired Sunday morning, so he skips worship. They both say the same thing, but there's a different regard for what is essential. There's a different valuing of what is excellent there. You know, these last couple of years, God has used COVID to do a lot of testing and revealing, challenging each one of us and, and growing us. And, you know, in, in the church as a whole, there's been a lot that's been revealed about what we truly believe. You know, I'll, I'll use kind of an obvious one. You know, we, like the church, has seen things like folks who would be willing to take their kids to a sports tourney, but, you know, we can't go to church because COVID. What was revealed there? What was revealed is what the heart actually regards as essential and worthy and excellent with what value it's, it, it is held. The, to approve the things that are excellent means to discern the value of things and to bring our hearts into line with their actual value. To bring our lives, to order our lives, orient our lives around what is essential, what is excellent, and how we live is revealing what we regard as actually essential. It is revealing what we actually regard as glorious, as worth effort. So if we come back to Romans 12, after all of that, it helps us make sense of what is said. We, we are being told to be transformed by the renewing of our minds as our thoughts and um, minds and beliefs are transformed. We will discern increasingly learn the will of God and we will increasingly have our affections and how we um, hold values more in line with the word of God. We will increasingly become correct in how we view everything. This means that we have the task of learning the will of God, doing the work of study of the scripture to discern the will of God. But even then, when the brain comprehends the will of God, there is the heart work of approving and regarding what is valuable in each of their proper degrees. And then even then, there's another aspect of put it into practice. Do the will of God. Let me see if I can illustrate. For you who are in Christ, so if you have not turned to Christ, the greatest thing that you need is to be saved. You need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But for you who are in Christ, there are things that you have in your life right now. There are things that you do. There are ways you obey God. There are spiritual disciplines. There are ways that you serve the kingdom of God that you do now but you didn't used to do them. So why do you do them now? It may seem simple, but the process was, there came a point that you learned, very basic, this is in the Bible. This thing, it's in the Bible. But even then, okay, um, I, I think this would be pervasive of human nature, okay? 
all of us have had things we learned was in the Bible, but we did not immediately put it into practice, right? So what had to happen between we learn this is in the Bible and instructed and I want to do this thing. What had to happen was something that takes place in the heart. Our hearts had to be convinced that this is excellent. This is essential. Our hearts had to become to a place that we approved of the will of God. I believe that is what Romans 12 to in this in this phrase is addressing here. And so what happened is there was a time we learned that it was in the Bible, but we didn't get it that this matters. And then there was a point that we got it. Well, here's one of the arguments that I'm making Christian, okay, to consider. There are a lot more. There are a lot more. There are things you're doing now that you didn't used to, and you have now come to see they are essential. Christian, I'm, I'm convincing you and addressing myself, there's more. There's more that's in the Bible. We know it's there. We haven't started doing it or at least giving like excellence to it. And it's because we've not yet been convinced in our hearts that this thing is essential, that this is excellent, that this is worth giving my time. This is worth giving up some other things for in order to do this thing. Our hearts must be convinced of the excellence of the will of God. Um, let's say that you have a close Christian friend, close Christian friend. This friend has children in the home and, and you found out that they're not doing anything to teach the gospel in their home. And they're even hit and miss with their church attendance. Now, let's say that you have come to be absolutely convinced of the essentialness of teaching your children the gospel. You have meditated deeply on, on the fate of your child's soul in eternity. You have considered the horrors of what it would mean if your child went to hell and how all their trophies and their money and their grades will all burn. None of it matters. What matters is the kingdom of Christ and making all things to glorify him. This is weighed on you heavily. So what we're saying is you see this as essential. You see this as excellent, but your friend is not doing this. So, so what will you do? Well, you probably start off with something just really simple of just, just saying like, hey, you really need to be teaching your children the gospel. What will your friend say? Because I bet we can guess. What's your friend going to say? I know what your friend is declaring is, I am aware that this is in the scripture. You, you might follow that up with, look, you know, you don't understand. This is important. Your friend might say, I know it's important. They think that they think it is important. But what we're getting at here is that there, the re, there is a reality between uh, the, the, the difference in knowing the will of God in the brain and the heart feeling deeply, this is essential. This is excellent. And what the Bible calls us to do is to live a life of reflection and study, immersion in the word of God. And it will be fixing our priorities so that we see what is most excellent, what is excellent, what is worth giving our life to, and what is trivial.
And more and more, we will be removing what is trivial from our lives. We must embrace the will of God, see the excellence of the will of God, approve it from our hearts, see the rightness and goodness and essentialness, the value of the will of God. Our hearts must say amen to what the Bible shows is excellent. Let me take some more examples here of what we're talking about because I, I think it's possible that somebody uh, is saying to themselves right now, well, you know, I don't see what the big deal is. I know right from wrong. Well, I, it's a lot more complex than that. Jump over, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Um, there's a section here. And I'm, I'm going to intentionally be convicting, and it is just as convicting to myself as I read this and ask questions. We've got a passage here starting in verse 16, three verses. Easy to understand. All of them hard to do. All of them hard to put into practice. First Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always. Easy to understand. <laughs> hard. To do. Look at the next one. Pray without ceasing. Same thing. We get it. Hard to do. Verse 18, in everything. Um, let me clarify, not in most things. In everything, give thanks. Watch the rest of this verse. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, that phrase applies to all of the commands he just gave there. So we, we could read each one of those. Rejoice always, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Christian, let me ask a question that is very convicting to me as I ask it. Do you rejoice always? Let me be facetiously cold here, okay? Why not? It's in the Bible. We know why, okay? What, what, what I'm trying to illustrate is bringing our hearts to love the will of God. It, this, is, this is way beyond the difference between just like knowing murder is wrong. Okay, yeah, that's a part of learning the will of God. That's really kind of baby material. Murder is wrong. I mean, apparently it requires some discernment. We, li we live in a nation that's regularly murdering the unborn and, and chanting about it and marching in streets about it. Apparently it requires some discernment. But when it comes to knowing right from wrong in terms of uh, things like murder and, 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 and whatnot, like we, we, we get it, that's wrong. But discernment is way more than knowing good versus bad. It, it's, it's knowing things like what, are the, what, what is excellent, what is more excellent, what is most excellent, what's the one thing? What in our lives is trivial? It's not evil, it's just trivial. And we're spending too much time on it. This is what discernment is. And this is what bringing our hearts to approve of the will of God uh, is. There are hundreds of elements to the will of God. First Thessalonians 5, you know, we just mentioned three quick things there. First Thessalonians 4, 13 says that this is God's will for you. Your sanctification. There are hundreds of elements to God's will for our lives. Now, let me talk just a bit about discerning 
the will of God and some of the work involved in, in the brain, okay? Discerning the will of God, learning the will of God, and, and then connect it a little bit later to some of what it means to approve the will of God. So in, in Hebrews 5, Hebrews 5, the author there wrote a pretty strong corrective word to those believers who received that, uh, that letter, if you remember that chapter. In chapter 5, he starts to get into some, some real deep matters of the gospel. Um, Melchizedek is a type of Jesus. You know, just getting into some real deep stuff. And he kind of pauses and he takes a parenthesis to give a rebuke to the Christians. He says this, I'm summarizing. He says, I'd like to go deeper with you, but I can't. And the reason why I can't is because you have been negligent with the word of God. By now, you should be teachers. Do you remember that phrase? You should be teachers, meaning from the time you have been saved until this point, if you had been doing the diligent work to study and reflect on the scriptures, you'd be able to be a teacher now, but you're not a teacher. And not only are you not a teacher, I can't even go deeper with you right now what I want to say to you. Now, I'll take a parenthesis here. What does that teach us about the will of God? Okay, that shows us some things about God's expectations for us and the scriptures that we are to be applying diligence in the study of the scriptures. But he finishes up that passage by saying this. Here's what he says. Solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. He says, I want to give you solid food, but you need milk. And so I'm going to repeat some milk to you. Solid food is for the mature, the people who have practiced and their senses have been trained to discern good and evil. Part of the point that I'm trying to make is do not think of discernment as easy stuff like bad versus good. This is far beyond this discernment of the word of God and then looking at life to evaluate all things. It requires, it requires a, a, an amount of wisdom that is uh, beyond us. This is a broken and complex world. This is messy. Life is messy. This world is messy. We Christians are just faced every single day, but especially during certain seasons where the right thing to do or the good thing to do, the better thing to do, a hundred degrees of better, and then the best way to respond to this, it's not easy to know. In every situation where you and I need to speak, there's like an unlimited number of way, things we could say and ways we could say it and the tone of voice we should have when we say it. What's the best way? That's, that's the work of discernment. Okay, when, when it comes to actions that we need to take. So you know, a lot of times in life, it's not just there's the good thing and the bad thing. There are times where that's the case. Okay, but a lot of times of life, it's not just two choices, it's 5,000 choices. And there's a whole lot of degrees that would be in the realm of obedience, but they're not all equally wise. They're not all equally excellent. And trying to discern what is the best way, it's difficult. Life is messy. It requires a lot. When it comes to uh, discerning the truths of Scripture, every truth of the Bible is important. Not every truth is equally important. What are the weightiest What's the one thing? That's the work of discernment. What's the best way to educate and train children? 
You know, in, in this one church, we have uh, at least that I can count four different ways that people who love God and are trying to be faithful to the Bible are educating and training their children. Public school, homeschool, Christian school, and a mix. What's the best way? How are we as Christians supposed to respond when our government oversteps its God-given sphere of authority? There's a lot of different ways to respond. Christians from various times and places have responded in different kinds of ways. What happens when, right, here's, here's a dilemma that the early church faced, okay? And it has, it has connection to our day. What happens when, in the early church, they faced this dilemma that um, Roman citizens were required by law, except for the Jews, because they, they had an exemption, Roman citizens were required to worship Caesar. Required. And there were times where they were called to task on that, that at the very least, what they were commanded to do is you have to at least take a little pinch of incense. You have to put it in the, the altar and you have to say with your lips the words that Caesar is Lord. So Christians were regularly put in this position that I either do this or I go to the games in the Colosseum where I will be eaten by lions. There were times that Christians, professing Christians, churchgoers, they came to the moment and they fell. They compromised. They were intimidated. They gave in. They gave the pinch. They said the words. They spared their life. But then a year later, they felt awful. They had guilt. They wanted to repent. They wanted to come back into the church. The early church faced the, this dilemma. How do we handle this? What do, what do we do with these folks? What do you do when biblical Christianity becomes illegal? Do you leave that place? Do you stay and get arrested and shot? Do you make a public appearance but work in the underground church? Christians from history have done all of those things and, and variations of them. When it comes to fatherhood, how many hours should we spend with our children in a given week? Husbands, how much time should we be spending alone with our wives? What happens if you're offered a promotion? Um, it means more influence and more money, but it means less time with your kids. How, how, do you, how do you weigh those things? What I'm getting at is there are thousands of elements of life that are not cut and dry like there's the good thing, the bad thing. It's, there's a lot of decisions and the work of discernment is working through those things. And then once we discern the will of God, there is still more work to do. It, there is the work of bringing my heart to say of this thing that scripture shows is essential so that my heart says, this is essential. This is excellent. Look over to Colossians chapter one, if you will. Might just be a couple pages back. Colossians chapter one. Verses 9 and 10, it's kind of helpful. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. In Colossians 1, start with me in verse 9 there. He says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, meaning their faith, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that, so that, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice a couple things about this that I think is helpful. Not only is he saying some of the same things, but there's even more here. So that, why does he, why does he pray? I want you to have wisdom 
and grow in knowledge of his will. It's the so that, so that you will order your life according to the will of God and walk in a manner worthy. But I also want you to notice here that verses 9 and 10 is part of a prayer. This is Paul being led by the Holy Spirit, praying for these Christians. Always pay attention when it comes to discerning what is essential, what is truly excellent. Pay attention to the prayers of the Bible. You know, we reference John 17 quite often. John 17, the night of Jesus' betrayal, he prayed for the church, his people down through the centuries. What he prays for is so profound and it matters to us that we know it. Jesus prays that his people would be kept in his name, that we would be sanctified by the word of God, that we would increase in the knowledge of God. He prays that we would come to spiritual maturity. He prays that the church believers would have unity and peace with one another, that we would love one another. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you were way more holy than me the first time I read John 17. But I can remember being a new Christian and reading John 17 and thinking to myself, seeing all these ways that Jesus prays for spiritual maturity and thinking, that's nice, but I kind of wish he would have prayed this. What's the this that I wanted? Well, at the time, it was things that mattered to me in my heart as a new believer struggling with, uh, uh, with loving the word of God and seeing it. Okay? And there's really kind of a light bulb thing when we come to uh, understand, when we come to see uh, why it is that Jesus prays for what he does, that the things that he prays for are the things that are truly essential, that these are the things that truly matter, that this is the weightiest of stuff. Okay? We, we, we are in a never-ending battle of the trivial versus the excellent. We're in a never-ending battle, the trivial versus the excellent. Christian, what gets our time? What gets our energy? What gets our attention? What are we spending our talents on? What do you spend your time on? Let me, let me give you the answer. It's both comforting and convicting. What you think is worth it. What do we spend our time on? We spend our time on that which my heart truly regards as essential and as excellent. And what needs to happen is that we grow in knowing the will of God and bringing our affections and what we regard as worthy to come in line with what is actually worthy. Because Christian, Jesus said, it is the spirit that gives life, the flesh profits nothing. C.S. Lewis kind of summarized it by saying, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Okay, all that does not last forever, in the end, it is irrelevant. I mean, you think about the, what, what, what occupies our thoughts. You think about what we spend our time on. We know that in our natural state, we spend our time, we spend our thoughts just constantly thinking on what is here, the desires that our body has. It's not always evil desires, but it is entirely just about what is here, what is here, what is here, the now, the now, pleasure, comfort, now, more possessions, more this. And, it, and it, if we're not careful, this will dominate our thinking and our time. Scripture is calling us to see what is eternal, what is significant, 
significant, what is essential, what is excellent, and begin to order our life so that our thoughts, our energy, our time, our talents are spent on this and not on the trivial. So Christian, a, a couple of, to highlight this just a little bit more and, and to give some application, let me ask this. Christian, do you read the word of God do you reflect on the word of God, spend time in the word of God on a daily kind of basis? If the answer is yes, then that means there came a point you learned, this is in the Bible and I'm told to do this, and your heart said, this is essential. Now here's what's frustrating, so frustrating, okay? We can come to a conclusion like that and then eventually be seduced and drift away from it and then we gotta learn it all over again. It's infuriating. We can come to understand things and then forget it and have to relearn it. But if you've not yet begun daily worship by reflecting on the word of God, here's, here's, here's what I suggest to you. You know that it's in the Bible, but your heart has not yet come to hold. This is excellent. This is worth it. The same goes with prayer. Christian, do you regularly spend significant time in prayer lifting up your requests to God? If the answer is yes, it's because the conviction was developed. You see it as essential. If not, you know, I want to tell you, this is something that is essential. It is excellent. And you need, your bring to, you need to bring your heart to see that it is. Christian, do you serve the kingdom of God by serving his church? I mean, do you have real ways that you are serving the church? If you do, it's because you've come to see that this is essential. If not, I want to suggest to you, this, this is something that is essential. We are here to glorify God. We are here for what lasts. We are here for what matters. We are here to bear fruit. This is life. This is essential. And you need to bring your heart to see this. One of our church members was recently offered a pretty lucrative job, but taking the job would mean that this person had to give up a ministry that was directly uh, sharing the gospel with lost people. And, and so the member of our church said, you know, it would be lucrative. It would be appealing. This member of our church turned it down. In, in order to continue to do gospel ministry, that is seeing things where they belong. That is seeing things as, as they are, what is essential. And so what Romans 12 is telling us to do is to live a life of regular reflection on the scriptures for it to have a dominant place in our lives. That we carve out a way, a place that we are reflecting on the scriptures daily and the word of God is instructing us. The word of God is slowly showing us the trivial things that we think are really important. It's revealing that they're trivial. And the things that we think of as trivial, but they're actually excellent, the Word of God is slowly showing us that this is essential. This is excellent. It is instructing us. In Philippians 4.8, last verse I'll ask you to go to, Philippians 4.8, Paul's winding down that letter and he says this, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on 
these things or ponder these things. Christian, I, I want to encourage you. Your life needs to have room for pondering. Your life needs to have space for long walks where you take a verse of the Bible and you just reflect on that one verse. Or for you, whatever your thing is, sitting by the lake or sitting in the recliner before everybody gets up, whatever your way is, your, your life needs room to do Philippians 4.8. One of Satan's big strategies with us is always trying to make us as busy as possible because busy people don't spend time to deeply think. We need to make room in our lives for the reflection of the word of God, to spend time reading the word, to spend time in silence, thinking on the truths of God, time for prayer, uh, time for spiritual disciplines. We must be continuing progress in the work of the word so that the transformation happens. We learn the word of God and we approve of the word of God. Well, that sums up this first section of Romans 12. Wraps up verses one and two, how we are to relate to God. And Christian, really, verses one through two, it is the Christian life. I mean, when we talk about just practically on a day-to-day -day basis, it's spoken in broad, general kind of umbrella terms, and we need to get more specific, and it's going to get more specific. But when it comes to these broad ways, this is the day-to-day -day Christian life. So Christian, I, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, I appeal, remember the mercies of God every single day. Every day, there are certain thoughts we need to think. There are some thoughts in the Christian life that need to pass through our minds at least once a month. There might be some others that at least once a year we need to think that thought. There are some thoughts we need to think every single day. And one of those is there is a reason why the first line of the model prayer that Jesus taught us is our Father who is in heaven. Christian, every single day, remind yourself I am a child of God, my Father is in heaven, and I have been made a child of God at great cost. Jesus bled, Jesus suffered. At great cost I have been redeemed, and make that to awaken gratitude. And out of that gratitude, think through uh, Romans 12, one through two. It wouldn't be a bad practice well, there's a lot worse things we could do than to read chapter 12, verses one through two, every day of our lives. Every day of our lives, reflect on those verses right there and to make it into a prayer and, and to put this into practice every day, reflect on the mercies of God, stir gratitude in the gospel, and then lay our lives down as an offering. Live in holy obedience, resist our sin, be transformed, renew our minds, and prove the will of God. And if you're here with us, and you're thinking as we talk about some of these things that maybe you'd like to start pleasing God, but you're not really sure where to begin, you think to yourself that you'd, you'd like to be right with God and like to know that you have eternal life, but you're not sure where to start. Some really good news is that Jesus just clearly tells us, here's where you start. Here's the very first thing. The great need that every single one of us has is the forgiveness of our sins. That's where you start. Listen, you do not start 
by just thinking to yourself, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to start being really good and try to try to earn my way into heaven. You will not be able to do it. The starting point is even while we are in our sins, we come to God through his son. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him. I know that that can sound really simple. You'll find that it's not, okay? It's not just believe that he exists. Trust him like you trust the chair you sat down in. Trust him. And then pray to God and ask him to save you. Tell him that you believe in Christ and that you want to be saved and ask him to save you. The invitation that I give is if you want to talk to somebody about that, find me on your way out the door and we can talk some more and I can show you some more from the word. But let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray, help us to live this, apply this, and, and put this into practice. God, we want to increasingly know your will, but we want to we want to regard rightly what is excellent and what is essential. So Lord, we pray, help us to do this. I pray that we will take very practical steps to make room in our lives for reflection on your word, the study of your word. For those who are doing it, I pray greater excellence in that work. Lord, please keep teaching us. Please keep showing us your will and help us to order our lives in obedience. Please bless us as we dismiss, bless the fellowship. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.